Good morning, I'm Pastor Brooks. Thank you for joining us here at Grace Community Church. Whether you are here in person, thank you for for braving uh, the dangers of COVID and finally coming back. Every, every Sunday, there's more and more people that are finally coming back. For those of you that are watching online, thank you for, for tuning in. Glad that you are here this morning. We have been going through the book of Hebrews, and over the last three weeks, we have kind of taken a pause and we've kind of camped out right there in chapter 10 as we've looked at the new life that we have in Christ. And last week we looked at the new family that we have in Christ. So here's three things. Grace Community Church is about, our mission is to make disciples to the glory of God. That's, That's what we're called to do. Whether you are a member of some other church or you're viewing online and you live somewhere else, Regardless of where you're from, the body of Christ, the church universal, is called to make disciples. And here at Grace, we have three values. Uh, we, we are committed to gospel truth, gospel community, and gospel mission. And what we've been through these last number of weeks here as we're looking at Hebrews, all three of our values are found right there in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. What we believe, it's what makes us who we are, is gospel truth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 The author says, let us hold fast to the confession, the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So in the context of the book of Hebrews, if you've been visiting with us or you're a member of this church and you've been coming for some time, you understand that the author here is writing to a group of Jewish background believers who are finding it difficult to continue following Christ. It's hard. It's hard. And those of you that are following Christ in this generation, 2,000 years later, it's not any easier. It's not any easier. We live in a culture which is becoming increasingly um, more antagonistic towards the faith. Uh, We're not the majority anymore. And so it's hard. And so he says we have to hold fast to the confession of hope. That's a statement of belief. The confession of hope is, is to hold fast to the confession of our faith by grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his, his victory over sin, his victory over death, his resurrection from the grave, the fact that he is atoned for sin, that in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are forgiven, that in Christ, if you are in Christ, you have received the righteousness of Christ, and God views you as an adopted son or daughter. That's what we believe, gospel truth. Having believed that, immediately we become united with Christ. And this is what we looked at last week. We become one with Christ. And not only to become one with Christ, but we become members of one another, his family. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, the author says, let us consider how to stir one another, one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more so as you see the day approaching. So you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are in fact in Christ. You and I are related. We are family. That's what the body of Christ is. We are a community. We're a community. And then lastly, we're a community which has been given a commission. We've been given something to do. Here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. There's something for us to do. We have a faith in Christ. We have a community of Christ, the body of Christ, but we've been given a mission. We've been given 
a purpose. So let's take a look at what we're going to cover this morning. We're going to see three things and then an application at the end. Gospel mission. This is our new purpose in Christ. First of all, the what of the mission. Secondly, the how of the mission and then the who. Full disclosure, two and three are really hard to separate. The, uh, or either, I'm sorry, the one and, and two are hard to separate. The what and the how. They blend together. They blend together. And then we'll have a call to action uh, at the end with an opportunity for you to take a step, take a step in following Christ and serving Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you the text of the Holy Scriptures that we have before us. We are asking, Lord, for you to do a work in and through the preaching of your word. Father, help me to teach and preach in such a way that the Scriptures are clear that the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask you to move in my heart, in all of our hearts, that we might be encouraged, that we might be admonished, that we might come to know you more, uh, or for some people to come to know you for the first time and begin a relationship with you. We, Lord, we ask you to be honored this morning and bring glory to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we know what the gospel is, the death, the burial, resurrection of Christ, the good news in terms of Jesus has died for our sins. He's given us an opportunity to receive that grace by faith to come into a covenant relationship with himself. We know that we've been united together as a family of believers, and we're encouraged to build one another up in the faith. So what are we called to do, though, as a family of believers? That's the focus this morning. The what of the mission Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. This answers the what. What do we do? Well, according to the text, we are to love one another and the people that God has put in our proximity, which might be outside of the body of Christ, and we're to do good works. So we're to do love and good works. The what of the what we are to do is the great commandment. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses received on Sinai after God had delivered his people from Egypt. He said, I am the Lord your God who has delivered you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes on and he gives the Ten Commandments, which essentially is summed up in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You should have no other gods before me. I'm it. Place me at the top. Worship me and me alone. Your love, your allegiance is pledged to me. And then as a function of your love for me, you are to then love the people that that I put around you in your community, in your community. Those whom you come across, whether they are the same ethnicity or same political persuasion or same socioeconomic uh, status as you are, or whether they are vastly diverse, who love your neighbor. Love me, love your neighbor. Pretty easy, right? No, not at all. Not at all. It's the great commandment, and it's very, very difficult. So here's a question. How do you love someone you don't really love? Some of you are married, and you're wondering that. 
you're not concerned so much about how to love your neighbor. You're concerned about how do I love my spouse? How do I love my teenager whom I I just want to wring his neck? How do I love that person? These people are related to me. How do I love them? And then there's the, how do I love my neighbor? Please don't raise your hand because this is somewhat condemning for all of us. How many of you couldn't name your neighbors by name? How do you love someone you don't know? There are some people that have lived in the neighborhood for 20 years and they couldn't tell you the first names of the people two houses down. John Piper, in, a, in a, an article that he wrote probably about 15 or 20 years ago comparing traditional and technological society, said that back in the day, houses were built and the, and the porches were on the front, right? So people would sit on the, on the front porch and you'd, Hey, Fred, what's going on? Hey, Brooks going on and you you would talk as you would you'd come into the house but now we build our decks on the back and we have these things called garage door openers and we just drive and we go we drive in we're not even sure that fred exists we may or may not see him on his deck because we have a privacy fence so there's less connectivity we don't even know our neighbor's names how are we supposed to love people we've never met and we live next door to them How are we supposed to love the people that we actually live in the same house with when we don't care for them at times? That's that's the what we're called to do. We're supposed to stir one another up towards love and good works within our own proximity, our own family, but across the street, across cultures, and eventually across the globe. How do we love people we don't even know or we do know them, we just don't like them? That's the hard part. So the how, when I said the how and the what, they kind of blend together. We know what we're supposed to call to do, but how are we supposed to do it? How are we supposed to do it? Um, That's the hard part. How do we love people that we're not really, really all that in love with? Back to the text in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works. So let's stop right there. You and I, we can't stir one another up towards love and good works unless we are holding fast to the confession of our hope. Now, this is, this is how, this is the key. The key to unlocking our inability to love and, and cause us to be able to love, to empower us, cause, is, is directly linked to whether or not we're holding fast to the confession of hope. See, Paul said in, in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, The gospel, it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For through the gospel, the righteousness of God is, is, is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here, here's what Paul is saying. The gospel, the belief that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose from the grave, and gives us new life, that's power. That's power. It gives us the ability to love people that we previously didn't care for. In fact, it gives us the ability to love people we still don't care for. So let's let's take a look at how this fleshes out. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says about his own spiritual journey. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Here's what Paul says. 
For the love of Christ controls us. Does the love of Christ control you? What controls you? What drives you? What moves you? What dictates, do I go to the right? Do I go to the left? Just, just for fun, how many of you have been pushing your shopping cart and you see someone that comes to grace or someone that you know, but you, let's just be honest, you don't really like them. You didn't need bread, but once you saw them, all of a sudden, I need bread. And you switch and you go, how many of you have done this? All of you have done this. Well, maybe not the super spiritual, but the semi-spiritual have all done this. We've all done this. What are we doing? What we're doing is we're not being controlled by love, as Paul said. What we're being controlled by is the flesh. Let's keep reading, keep reading here. Verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see what Paul's doing? Paul is holding fast to the confession of his hope. He, his mind is set on what Jesus has done for him. And because his mind is set on what Jesus has done for him, he cannot help but be transformed by the love of Christ. He's compelled, he's controlled by the love of Christ. Keep reading, keep reading. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, because of that, because he's compelled and controlled by the love of Christ, because he's holding fast to his confession, Because of this, we no longer uh, regard anyone according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. So back to the supermarket. You're pushing your cart. You see Marge, you see Fred, you see whoever. I don't like Fred. Marge is a blowhard. She's just going to gossip. I don't want to talk to her. Or that's my neighbor. He doesn't love Jesus. he, He doesn't believe in the same things I do. He's obnoxious, blah, 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 all these things. Here's what's going on in our heads. Right at that moment, we are going through a cost-benefit analysis. We are viewing them according to the flesh. And as we are viewing them according to the flesh, here's what we're thinking. Will my interaction with them increase or decrease my happiness quotient for the day? And we immediately conclude, because we're viewing them according to the flesh, it's going to decrease my happiness quotient. So now I need milk. And I didn't really, I'm lactose intolerant, but I have to get milk now. I have to get milk now because I, I don't want, it's going to cause me, they're going to take something from me that I can't get back. My happiness will be gone for the five minutes that I'm going to have to endure this person's presence. At that moment, we are not controlled by the love of Christ, we are viewing them according to the flesh. But here's what Paul's saying. Because I hold fast to the confession of faith and I'm constantly cognizant of what Jesus Christ has done for me, I can't not view them the way that Christ viewed them. And how is that? Keep reading. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. Here's the deal. You and I came into a relationship with Christ, if you are in Christ, by grace through faith. 
Our sins were pardoned. We were adopted into the family of God. We will, there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ. We are heirs of all things in Christ. And he's given us his righteousness. When the father looks at you, he doesn't see his sin. He see, sees your sin. He sees the righteousness of his son imputed to you. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He loves you. He cannot love you more. He will not love you less. You've been reconciled. And he says, I want you to be ambassadors to those people who don't have that hope. I want you to carry that gospel to those who don't have that gospel. I want to use you to further my kingdom. And that's what Paul was driven by. That's what Paul was driven by. When we hold fast to the confession of our hope and we encourage each other to hold fast to the confession of our hope, it stirs us. It stirs us to love and good works towards individuals we don't necessarily care for. It changes our hearts. It it causes us to no longer view others according to the flesh. Will they increase or decrease my happiness quotient for that day? And it causes us to view them in a light of eternity. Do they or do they not know the hope that is in Christ? And that becomes the only thing that actually matters. That becomes the only thing that actually matters. So that's the how. We are empowered by the gospel. The gospel is powerful. It doesn't just save us. It changes us. And it changes the way we view other people. If we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, if we stir one another up with that knowledge, then it begins to change us as disciples. Now we can actually carry out the how of being ambassadors. We can actually go forth and do something. So part of the love, the the, the most loving thing you can do is share the hope that you have in Christ with those who do not have that hope. There's nothing that you can do that's more loving than that. Jesus calls that making disciples. It's the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that's that's what we do. There's love and there's good works, and part of the love, it's the most loving thing to share Christ with those who don't know Christ. You're if you're a follower of Christ, that by definition, that makes you a disciple. Whether you've been following Jesus for the last 20 seconds or the last 20 years, you're a disciple. And so what you and I are charged with as disciples is to make other disciples, to, to share the, the hope that we have in Christ. That's, that's our calling. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, now, that doesn't refer to geopolitical entities, the United States, Canada, Mexico, China. It refers to every ethne. That means every ethnicity, every people group. There's multiple people groups within every geopolitical nation. So every distinct culture needs a representation of the gospel, needs a faithful witness. We are to cross the street with the gospel. We are to cross cultures with the gospel. And we are to cross ethnicities or every ethne to the ends of the earth with the gospel to make disciples. Baptizing the name in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Behold, I am with you always to the very 
ends of the earth. If you've been coming to Grace Community Church for any number of years, you have heard us repeatedly talk about the Great Commission, making disciples, making disciples. We make disciples who make disciples to the glory of God. Blah, 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 blah. It's on our website. It's on every piece of paper that you pick up. Our website is what? Graceb3.org. Where, what does a B3 stand for? How do you actually know what the B3 stands for? It stands for bring in, build up, and branch out. It's just a, it's a, it's a pithy way of contextualizing the gospel. We are to bring the gospel to people that they might be brought into the kingdom of God. Then we might build one another up in the faith so that we might branch out with the gospel to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Bring in, build up, branch out. Right? So that's essentially the great commission. Make disciples. And, and some of you have heard it so many times. It's just background noise. The gospel's the same way. I've had a local pastor here who kind of teased me. Uh, yeah, you guys are the, you're the gospel church. You modify everything with the word gospel. It's kind of true. So we're committed to gospel truth. We're committed to gospel community. We're committed to gospel mission. We're committed to gospel shirts, gospel shoes, gospel pancakes, gospel vehicles. That's okay. Kind of, kind of getting ridiculous now, but you get the idea. But there is a danger in using a, a phrase, great commission or the word gospel so often that it becomes, it becomes background noise and you're not even aware of what it is. George Barna recently did a survey, which is somewhat alarming. It shouldn't be alarming. Actually, it's disappointing, not alarming. It's disappointing, not alarming. It doesn't surprise me. He did a survey of faithful church attenders. So this isn't people that he met at the mall. These are people that faithfully committed to their local church. And the question was, the question that was asked is, have you heard of the Great Commission? Not, please explain what it is. Have you heard of it? <laughs> survey results. 51% said, no, I don't believe I have. I could, no, I don't know. I, I've never heard of the Great Commission. That's absolutely alarming. That's the last thing Jesus says to the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And he gave them the mission. Here's the mission, go make disciples. So 51% of the church isn't aware of the mission. Never heard of it. 25% said, Yes, I, I have heard of it, but I, I, I can't recall what it is. So in other words, the phrase is vaguely familiar, but I don't know what it is, which is the same thing as not knowing what the Great Commission is. 17% yes, and it means go make disciples. They can kind of tell you the verse. And then 6% says, I'm not sure. Now, what does that mean? It means that only 17% of faithful attenders that attend church can actually tell you what the Great Commission is. Now, that's 17%, less than one in five. Now, the poll didn't ask this question, but you tell me. Does that mean that all 17% that can tell you what the Great Commission is, is actually making disciples? That's a separate follow-up survey, is it not? So we can deduce that simply by human nature that if only 17% know what the Great Commission is, then there's a, a fraction of that that's actually doing it. So that means that less than 20% of the church is actually engaged in doing what the church is called to do. That's 
disappointing. That's why the slide says the great omission. The great omission. Knowing that we are to make disciples, yet not engaged in disciple making, is an omission. Now, over the years and over the months here at Grace Community Church, it's our endeavor to equip you and give you specific opportunities to bless and to serve those that are in your proximity and those that are not in your proximity, to make disciples of all nations, to equip you, to empower you, and to give you opportunities to do that. So the mission of Grace Community Church is to make disciples to the glory of God. The vision, the specifics of that is grace vision for 2025 is that by 2025, we are praying that 1,000 new Christ followers fully devoted to Jesus and committed to sharing the gospel in the corridor through action and word. That's our vision. That's what we've prayed for. That's what we've prayed for. That's very, very tangible. Now, some of you are like, 1,000 people? How did you come up with 1,000 people? Well, pre-COVID, the average Sunday morning attendance for Grace Community Church was 1,300 people. Now, we also recognize that not all of you come every Sunday. You're pretty much fit the national norm, which means you come every other Sunday. That's, that's the national average for committed, uh, committed churchgoers. They come about every other week. Now, some of you are like, I must be super awesome because I come every single Sunday. You are super awesome. Um, and those of you that come less, you're not less awesome. It's just, just statistics, right? So if that's the case, that means that we have 13 people that come on, on an average week, but we have twice that many people that call Grace Community Church their home. Now, we recognize that many of them are children. So we're talking conservatively a 1,000 adults Christ followers call Grace Community Church their home. Now, you tell me, if we had a 1,000 people actively engaged in stirring one another up in love, actively engaged in loving their neighbors and sharing the good news that they have in Christ, is it totally unreasonable that within five years, each person could see one person come to Jesus? Just one. I'd say that that number becomes conservative. Of course, that actually requires we do it. Faithful attendance doesn't mean making disciples. It just means attending. The purpose of attending the local assembly is so that you can be stirred up towards what? Love and good works. That's why we're meeting. That's why the apostle says not to neglect meeting together as some in their habit are doing. Why are we meeting? So we can be stirred. So the gospel can stir us. So the gospel can encourage us. Our job is to bless our neighbors. Indeed, that is good works, and in word. That, that simply means we serve our neighbors across the street, crossing cultures, and across the globe. We serve our neighbors by doing tangible acts of service, but we also share the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that we have in Christ. Actually, the serving gives us credibility so that they're willing to listen, so that they're willing to listen. And that's our job. The, the actual 
coming to Christ is not our job. That's God's job. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We can be faithful to demonstrate and declare the gospel in word and in deed, and we can pray, and then the rest is up to the Holy Spirit. It is not our job to save anyone. That's God's job. It is our job to be faithful, to witness, to serve, and to share, to bless. So the who of the mission, the who of the mission. So who are we to bless? We've been blessed with the gospel. We've been blessed with a family of believers. We've been blessed with many, many resources, intellectual and material. We've been blessed. So what are we supposed to do with this blessing? We're supposed to bless. We're supposed to bless others. But who? Jesus says in Luke chapter 29, talking about the greatest commandment, he asks someone, well, how do you say it? And this guy says, well, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says, well, then just go do that. And so the guy seeking to justify himself says, um, okay, technically, who is my neighbor? Who ex- this is where it gets rubber meets the road. Who am I supposed to bless? Who's my neighbor? So Jesus gives him the parable of the Sermon on, or not the Sermon on the Mount, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the story where a Jewish man is on the road to Jericho and two robbers come out and they, they beat him, they strip him, leave him naked, bleeding, bloody, take all his money, all his possessions. And a Levite comes by and sees him and crosses on the other side because he's got work to do at the temple. A priest comes by and sees him and crosses the other side because he doesn't defile himself comes in contact with a dead body. This guy might be dead. If I touch him, then I can't go into the temple. I can't serve God. And then a lowly, despised Samaritan comes along and says, hey, that guy's hurting. How can I help? He gets down off his donkey and he helps the guy, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the city, pays for, pays for his food, pays for his lodging, pays for his med- medical care, and says, Here, here's my money. I'm, I'll come back. Whatever, Put it on my tab. And then Jesus closes this, closes this with a question. Which of these three, the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, well, the one who showed him mercy. Great job. Now go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. So how do you answer the question? The, the question is not who's your neighbor. The question is which of us will be a neighbor? The answer to the question, who's your neighbor, is whomever God brings across your path at high V, And you don't like them. You don't need milk. So keep going in the direction you're going and engage them. So the, the, your, your neighbor is your literal neighbor. It's the people that you live in proximity to. Your neighbors are the people that you work amongst, that God has brought into your proximity in the, in the marketplace or that you recreate with, that you do things together with for fun. Whoever God brings into your presence is your neighbor. Now, they may not be bleeding physically. They may not have any outward signs of pain. But if they have a pulse, they're hurting. If they don't have the hope that, they, that, that you have in Christ, they are hopeless. They're without hope. They're without hope. So, call to action. First of all, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Ask a very simple prayer. Lord, 
Show me who my neighbor is. Open my eyes that I might see people that you've already put around me and show me their needs, that I, how I might be able to bless them, how I might be able to bless them. Begin with prayer. We also want to let you know this summer, there's going to be an opportunity where we collectively as an entire church can step out and bless the community, potentially your literal neighbors. So be praying for July 18th. How many of you remember... Um, Serve the City Day back in 2008, long, long time ago. Uh, that particular Sunday, the whole church will be mobilized to go out into the community and serve people with real needs. Serve people with real needs. So be praying for that. And you don't have to wait to say, well, just mark that in my calendar. I will serve on July 18th, and until then, I'm going to be an obnoxious Scrooge and humbug. Blah, blah, blah. No, you don't have to wait until the middle of the summer. You can begin this journey of seeking to bless those around you through a demonstration of the gospel's power in service and a declaration of the gospel's power. What I'm telling you, though, is that we want to be committed to giving you tangible ways to, to do that and equip you, equip you to do the, probably the scariest part, which is, okay, I'm fine with raking my neighbor's yard. I'm fine with helping in some tangible way. But what terrifies me is sharing the hope that I have in Christ. We are going to help equip you this summer, next fall, and in the years to come so that you and I, so we as a church, will be able to contextually bless people, not only with acts of service, but with the good news of the gospel. We have a, a video that we'd like you to watch. These are three people, and this is how God has led them to be able to bless others across the street, across the culture, and to the ends of the earth. And then we'll close with a brief call to, for you to determine how God might be leading you to do the same. So take a look. Second Corinthians tells us this. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. You know, many times people say, I can't do this. I can't serve. I can't reach out. I'm like, yes, you can, because that's what you're called to. I think one thing that's really important is we recognize it's not something we have to do, in a sense. It's something we really get to do. I love actually coming back to the Gospel of John chapter 20 because it's so relevant to like the time and the age we find ourselves in right now. When Jesus had been crucified. The disciples, they're alone, they're afraid, they're locked behind doors. And when Jesus appears back to his disciples at this time, what he tells them, first he tells them peace, and, and then he tells them peace unto you again. He gives us his peace so that we can share it with others and also calm our hearts and our perspective that we can move forward knowing he's with us as we go. And then when he calls us, he simply says this. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And it's like this blessing that we've been given, that we might know Jesus, is ultimately uh, something that we've been given that we can just share out generously. To me, that's the simplest, most reductionist understanding of what it really means to know and share Jesus naturally as part of our life. When I first went into Haiti the first time, I hadn't ever been on a short-term mission trip. God was just moving in my heart to become more obedient. And one way that he was pulling on my heart to be more obedient was to go serve, you know, go and make disciples. So th that was a great place for me to start. We went to the schools multiple times. We interacted with the kids. 
The first time we were there, we were in this train station when we ran the medical clinic and they were using a two liter bottle as a soccer ball. We eat more in one meal than they eat in a day, sometimes in two days. So it just really tugged at my heart to really help and just be part of the solution to what Worldwide Village was doing and try to help Worldwide Village better love the, the Haitian kids. We were sending, I think 18 people went from Grace on that first trip. So I was going surrounded by people that I knew and it was a great experience. The community and college that I was a part of was sort of a mix. I was a part of the small groups here at downtown for college students, young adults. I was involved in a sorority as well and so ended up leading a Bible study in my sorority, which was definitely not a thriving community when I started it, but ended up hearing about an organization called Greek University and got involved with that my last two years of college. Their goal is to essentially put a Bible study in every single fraternity and sorority on campus. That's their way of getting the gospel out. We started this Bible study and the first semester we had around five people coming every week. And so then the following year, I did a lot to really intentionally reach out to people and follow up with people and bringing the gospel to them has been incredibly effective. I got to see one of my sisters come to know Christ in that Bible study and now she's leading the Bible study and we now have six Bible studies in different fraternities and sororities. And so we have five sororities with Bible studies and one fraternity, which is just a sweet testament to what God's been doing in Greek life. I've been serving with Extending Grace about five years. Extending Grace is a ministry that helps foster kids. We have a spring giveaway and a fall giveaway, and we bring everything out from our storage, and we lay it out like the most perfect yard sale and everything is free to foster families. Oftentimes a kid comes to a family and they're alone, they have none of their stuff, and they have a social worker, often a stranger with them, and the child feels very shell-shocked. And so if the new parent can spend time with the child instead of trying to get their everyday needs, it makes the transition a lot easier. About two years ago there was this three-year-old and he was a foster child which means he had been taken from his parents and when we gave him his book bag he hugged it and he was like this is my very own book bag and he looked at his foster mom and he was like is this just for me and we gave away so many book bags well over a hundred that day other kids were super grateful but this little boy who should have had his mommy with him and he didn't instead of complaining about life he was so excited it wasn't a story very different than other stories that we saw. Kids were so grateful. So many foster children come from broken homes or very abusive situations, and Jesus is not present. But when Christians get behind fostering, this might be the only Jesus that these kids ever see. We can make a huge difference in the lives of these children. It's not just meeting their everyday needs. It's changing their destiny, it's changing how they raise their children, how they love their children, and it makes a very large impact. It means something to a world where people are desperate to know that they matter, that relationships actually count, that someone actually cares. When we're talking about branching out, what we mean is ultimately we're trying to get people to see that we're called to simply, first of all, just cross the street. to. Go just to someone who is just like us, who
who is in need of just knowing who Jesus is, to love in his name, to care in his name. Another thing you can do is that it takes sometimes, though, some more intentionality on our part where we're willing to cross cultures. And crossing cultures is simply people that are not like us. That could be a different ethnicity. Uh, that could be different in terms of far as socioeconomic standing. Uh, there's a ton of different ways that looks, and you have a lot of opportunities. There's a third way, though, too. You know, ultimately, we're called to really be a blessing to the nations as a whole. And God may be asking you to be a bit more intentional in taking the gospel to them in some way. I mean, it's just a short-term trip, trusting God with a couple weeks of greater intentionality where you can bless others who really need what God has done in your life. We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And one part of the role of his spirit is that he will guide us into all truth. And so just really seeking, where does the spirit want you to be investing right now? And how can you join him where he's already at work? There are several opportunities this summer to branch out. Let us know what you'd be interested in hearing more about by going to graceb3.org reach21 and just fill in some info there. It takes less than two minutes. Thanks so much. Okay, this is the part where I ask you to get your phones out. For those of you that are here, those of you that are watching online, take your smartphone. Some of you are like, I don't have a smartphone. Write down the URL, and when you get in front of a computer, you can do this at another time. So I'm doing it here, graceb3.org, reach 21. Now what's going to come up, it's come up on my browser, is that survey that you just, you just saw there. Just put in your name, your email address, and then please rate your interest in the following types of outreach, local, cross-cultural, international, unreached, uh, which type of outreach most interests you. And no, there is not a, a box that says, I don't care about any of these people. I just want them all to die without hope. There's not that box. We intentionally left that off. We just thought it wasn't appropriate to put. So I hope none of you have that as a, as a heart. If you do, pray that your heart would change. This is not a commitment. If you say, I'm very interested in cross-cultural ministries, we are not going to pair you up with an international student. We are going to give you opportunities to be equipped and opportunities to take a step of faith. This isn't a commitment to be a missionary in Uganda or Thailand. It's a commitment to, to find out what the next steps are. It's, it's a commitment to say, I'll, I'll look into this. I'll pray about it. So whatever the Lord puts on your heart, Check any or all of those, your level of interest, and then be looking and praying for opportunities. Because if you look for and you pray for opportunities, God's going to bring them across our path. And we're going to see people receive the joy of Christ that we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you left the 99. And you pursued each one of us as lost sheep. And you put us over your arms and you brought us into your fold. Now, Lord, give us the same heart of the good shepherd that wants to seek others and bring them into a relationship with you. That's not our job. That's your job to change their hearts. But it is our job to love them, to bless them, to share the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, may we be stirred. May we be encouraged to love and good works for the glory of Christ, for the fame of his name across the nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Go in grace. We'll see you next week.